Well, good morning. Welcome to the Christian Church of Essence Park. We are disciples of Jesus to build generational, transformational disciples of Jesus. And we're going to be talking about transform today, how God changes, how it changes everything, continue that. But first, I, I need to address uh, the events of this last week. Um, I want to take just a minute to do that. Uh, it uh, appears that, I, and I tried to text out or uh, send a Facebook message, kind of took a thing from, uh, I thought, Billy Graham or... Franklin Graham had written that was good and with some instructions to pray. And I don't think many people got that. In fact, I don't think anybody now uh, turns. So I'm just going to address you straight up and because the enemy can't get in the way between us right here, right? Uh, let's understand this, that our country is in a broken place, aren't we? And I think those of us who are in faith kind of wonder what we should do in the midst of this. And I just want to give some just real brief things. What people are doing right now is not God's way. We have a better way of going about that. I think we understand that there's a lot of hurt and brokenness that's going on in the country, and we need to first understand why. Uh, you know, I think there's a lot of distrust from the system, the political people that have been elected. And this is not just from the right or the left. This is not a Republican-Democrat issue. Let's remember that way back, if you remember when George Bush was elected, only 18% of Democrats thought he actually got elected. Let's remember back when Trump was elected, less than... Uh, Two-thirds, uh, well actually about two-thirds of Democrats didn't believe that Trump got elected. They thought Russian interfered. And now two-thirds of Republicans don't think that, uh, that Biden got elected. Okay, so let's, we, we don't trust the system as Americans. We don't. And because we don't trust the system, we don't trust the people who are elected in the system, and we think it's corrupt. Surprise, people! Yes, it's corrupt. People are in charge. We shouldn't be shocked by this. This is not the first time in human history that corrupt people have gotten power. So don't freak out. Do you remember what we just celebrated last month? The King of Kings was born. Jesus is the Lord of Lords. He is on his throne. On his shoulders is the government. And the greatness of his kingdom has no end. Take a deep breath first. And let's get off the circus ride of hatred that is causing people to destroy each other. Take a moment to remember who our king is. He is the prince of peace. He said in his beatitudes, when he began to integrate and the inaugurate his kingdom into this world, he said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall inherit the earth. Not those who have power, not those who twist elections or do whatever they want. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. They shall inherit the earth. We serve the Prince of Peace. But you know what this world is in? It's under the God of hatred, the God of darkness. It says the devil is the one that's in control of things. So why should we be surprised that there's corruption and that there's, there's mistrust? And the fingerprints of the devil are all over everything that we see. The devil came to steal, to kill, and destroy. We know that. And what do we see throughout our nation? Whether it's in Seattle and riots there, or it's in Washington, D.C. and riots there. People stealing, killing, destroying. These are the works of the devil, and they have to be soundly rejected by the people of God. Let pagans act like pagans, but we have a better kingdom. And we are called to live in a better way. So we recognize the source of the frustration, but we do not allow anger to cause us to sin. We are like Cain. When God says, watch out, sin is crouching at your door. But you must learn to master it. Be angry, but don't sin. 
So the anger that we have, let's recognize, the anger that we have is against the corruption. Whether you're on the right or the left, both sides are motivated by an idea of justice. The problem is everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes. But can we here in this kingdom, in this place, stop doing what's right in our own eyes and trust our king to do what's right in his eyes? And what does he tell us to do? Well, he tells us to be engaged, yes. But to, how do we engage in this world? Do we bring his kingdom through a sword? No. But through acts of kindness and love and mercy. God cares about justice. He does. He really does. But the great thing about God is he says that you don't have to be his agent of justice. And I'm grateful for that. He will repay the wicked. Make no mistake about this. He will. When the system fails you, your God will not. So don't take matters into your own hands. We pray. We also act justly. We have to demonstrate justice into this world, don't we? I mean, aren't we called to be salt and light? If the world isn't going to act justly, if they're going to do things that are awful, is it excuse for us to act awfully? We need to be different. So let us speak truth when others tell lies about us. Isn't that what Jesus said would happen? And then he say, don't be surprised when that happens. He says, don't freak out. They did the same thing to him. So speak truth and love. You know what else we can do? We can pray for our enemies. And all of us have them. And I love the fact that this church has people on the political right and the political left and the political center and the political, I don't care. Because we're not here as a political party. We are here as the kingdom of God. And I want you to know, brothers and sisters, not the people on the other side of the aisle that are your enemy. We're all here together, aren't we? The enemy is the prince of darkness who causes us to hate one another. And he's got loud mouthpieces. And one of the things that we have in this current age is we have media that lets us choose who we want to listen to so we can always listen to people who make us feel right. And what they do is they will always make the who listen or different than us like the enemy. The enemy's just described, he's, he's, dis he's distracting us. Republicans, Democrats are not your enemy. Democrats, Republicans are not your enemy. The devil is our enemy. Can we start there? And can we treat others with kindness and mercy? I get the rage. Trust me, I get the rage. I get the frustration. But let's not sit in our anger. Instead, let's go to God with our frustrations. Let's start acting kindly to the people who live around us. And I'll tell you this. If you are a Democrat... Do you have a Republican person that you can love? If not, I can show you somebody in our congregation. <laughs> and if you're a Republican, do you have a Democrat that you know that you can love and you can show kindness to? Because if not, I can show you somebody even in our congregation. Can we learn to love one another and can we love the people in our community, treating them with kindness? Because that is the way the kingdom of God grows. And our nation, our country, our world needs the kingdom of God now more profoundly than I think we've seen in a whole long time. So let's not go back to panic. Let's not take justice into our own hands. Let's not start rioting and murdering and doing bad things and stealing and killing, destroying. We don't work for that kingdom. Instead, let's pray for our enemies. Let's bless those who persecute us. Let's engage through actual acts of kindness and love and mercy, especially for those whom we must tolerate. And let's leave justice to God. Can we do that?
All right, that's what I wanted to say on Facebook. They wouldn't let me because apparently that's hate speech. But today, <laughs> what I'm going to turn to is I want to talk about transformation. Because this is what God does for us. And this message is for the Christian. If you're not a Christian and maybe you're joining us online or you're here, I want you to be encouraged by this to see the difference that, that God makes in a person's life. But these things don't apply to you. They apply to the believer. And so this is going to be, a, I think, an important message. We're going to talk about gender today. And I think gender issues... Sex issues are a, uh, a hot-button topic in our current world because there is a lot of confusion out there. Surprise, the enemy's been confusing people, but not so in the church. See, we start with the idea that we are who God says we are. If you're a Christian, you are who God says you are. It's the truest thing. You're saved even when you don't feel saved. You're redeemed even when you don't feel redeemed, right? You're not saved because the church says you're saved. You're saved because God says you're saved, right? You're, you are God's saint regardless of what culture says, right? We are who God says we are. Well, God has something to say about how he designed us in our genders, and that's what we're going to talk about today. But first, let's go back to our memory verse, which reminds us of the powerful work that God does in us, the reality, the very true spiritual reality that's at work within us. 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, hopefully you remember it a little bit from last week, but we're going to say it together. Here we go, 3, 2, 1. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Again, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. One more time to test ourselves. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. You are the new creation. Isn't that awesome? And God is at work transforming us even now. And he really even transforms humanity by how he designed us. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. So if you have your Bibles, let's go back to the very beginning, a very good place to start. It's Genesis chapter 1. That's the very first book of the Bible. First, it's the very first chapter of the Bible. It's the story of our beginning. It's how God designed us. It's, it speaks to our design. It speaks to our purpose. It speaks to our lives, our world, and our order. And if we're going to talk about things as fundamental as male and female, I think it's a good idea to say, did God design male and female? Was it part of his plan? And what does that even mean? And one of the first things, as you turn to the beginning of Genesis, you're going to say there's, there's two, some people think, two creation stories. That's not true. Genesis 1 is kind of like the overview. It gives the big picture of how God designed all the things. That's the, so it kind of gives us an idea of the big picture. Genesis 2 kind of zeroes in on humanity and how he created us, right? And as we go into that, you're going to see that God created us male and female. In fact, uh, you'll see that it said... Uh, Verse 27, Genesis 1, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. First thing we recognize is that humans are holy, that we are made uniquely in the image of God. There's something unique and powerful and wonderful and beautiful about humanity, which is why we respect people even if we don't like them, right? Because they're in the image of God. They're holy. It's amazing. But then right in that creation, made in the image of God in his likeness, it says, he made them male and female. He created them. From the very beginning, the first thing I think hope you get out of this is that my sexual identity is from God. God created male and female. It was his idea. 
He made us that way in the garden as reflections of who he is. Right? And it's, don't miss this. In the image of God, he created them. And in order to be in the image of God, how did he create us? Male and female. Which means that just as a male, I reflect a certain type of or characteristics of God. And my wife, as a female, reflects other aspects of God. Isn't that amazing? We need to honor the holiness of gender as a reflection of who God is. Sexual identity is from God. And it's a way in which we get to glorify God, even in our own existence. So we go back to this as the Christian. We recognize the truth of our design, that we are who God says we are. And so for my my friends and my brothers and sisters who are in Christ who struggle with this, and some do, some really struggle with, they feel like I am biologically male, but I feel female. I want you to know this, that confusion is not from God. If you are a male, if you are a man, God made you a man to reflect his image in you, regardless of how you feel, because you are not what you feel like, and you are not what society says you are. God is very clear, and it's very wonderful. You don't have to worry about your identity. He has accepted you and made you the way he did on purpose. He made you a man for a reason, and the same thing for for ladies, we are not to be caught up in the world that says we have to identify who we are. That's the way the rest of the world is. But those of us in Christ, the first thing that we recognize is that God transforms us, that we accept whom he says we are, whom he created us to be. You're not created by accident. And let me say that there's a reason that he created us male and female. And I want to say that and we get this with other things in life. Because I, I know this is, is, is a hot topic, hot topic and I know I can, I can cut the tension with a knife, so I brought one. This right here is a machete that I got in Costa Rica. We were going back in the banana forest, and we were in there pretty deep, and uh, we needed to go and to build a, a retaining wall to keep uh, the runoff water from getting into the, the water supply for the village because all the children were getting sick, and a lot of them were dying or whatnot, and we had to get back up into there. And the banana f- forests are thick with all kinds of shrubberies, and it's difficult to get through. And so I went down, took a a bus and a donkey ride, and, and I got myself a machete, and that's what this is. And then later on, I bought a nice scabbard for it that says Costa Rica, so I would remember the fun trip. And this is what I bought. This is my machete. And I'll tell you, this is a fantastic tool. And I've dulled it, don't worry, for the sake of I know you're all worried. I dulled it for today. Okay, and so this machete, we have to hack through the forest, super tough, all that kind of stuff. It's a great tool. It also, um, whilst we were in uh, San Jose, it bifurcated a particularly aggressive tarantula who crawled up my shower drain, right? That was a fun scene. Um, Fantastic tool, right? It was crafted for a reason, and it is pretty darn tough, right? Um, you'd see the end is a little bit dinged because one time I was swinging, normally I have a little wrist thing through that because one time I was swinging, my hand got wet and I flew through the forest and luckily hit a rock and not a person. This is a great tool. It's a great tool. I have another tool here that's also very powerful. And that's this right here, which has also been dulled for today. This uh, is a uh, scalpel. Like a little tiny one, old school, very old school, right? A scalpel. 
And it also is very, very powerful. Now, I've never used this. Don't worry. It's not something that I was like in Costa Rica, like, hey, right? But what I know from doctors who do use such little old tools like this is that, uh, you know, you can open a person up very delicately and only cut precisely what you want to cut very, very precisely. And that's the whole point of this is why it's small and it's delicate, right? It's, it's light and things like this. It's made for precision. Right? Would, now, I think we could say that these are very similar things. They're both knives. They both have blades. The point is to cut, right? And they're both incredible tools. But to say that they are the same is ridiculous. Now, just say that these two tools are exactly the same and they're designed the same. It would be like going to your, your surgeon and him going like, all right, let's do the appendectomy, right? You wouldn't do that. Or if I was going to cut my way through the banana forests, that would be ridiculous. We as people create things different because we have different purposes for them and the design tells us something about the purposes that we have. Now, God created us male and female. And I would say that we could look at these two things and say, which one is more important? Can't. Which one is better? I don't know. If I'm in the banana forest, this. If I'm at my doctor's office needing to get, you know, a mole removed, this. Right? That God has made us different for a reason, and we should not hide that fact. We should not disguise that fact or live under this delusion that there is no difference or to say that there's a badness in the difference. But to say, the difference doesn't make us unequal. The difference makes us different so that we can do different things, so we can live a fuller life. If we go back into uh, the Word of God, we will see that God made us male and female. There's two genders, like he said, made us male and female. There's only two, which is fantastic. That we don't have to worry, there's no like hybrid or anything like that, male and female. And men represent God in one way, women represent God in a different way, both together to bring a great glory to God, which is what we ought to do as Christians as part of the church. Right? So we learn about men. The first thing about men is that men are masculine. That's how God made us different. We Right? There, there's something to masculinity. It means something to be masculine. And what does masculinity mean? Well, well, let's look at the design. If you go to the chapter 2 then, we'll talk about what masculinity is. The first thing we see with masculinity is it's productive. When God created Adam, the first thing he did to Adam is he put him in the garden. Right? He put him to work. That was day one. It's like, happy birthday, get to work. Why did God do that? This was before sin. It's because there's something in masculinity that needs to be productive. We need to do. One of the most gutting things you can do for a man is to, is to make him not able to do something. It, it really does hit us at our core. To be able to produce. That's why men value success. You ever notice that? Sometimes I go golfing because I like self-torture, I guess. I don't know. Humiliation. But I'll go golfing, and I'll go there, and one of the things is you'll see those guys that are out there practicing all the time, right? And they're super proud when they make a great shot and everybody else sees it. They like that. Or you see a guy who's at the top of his game or other things. That we, and men, we naturally respect the men who have success. We like that. Why? Because they've been productive. We see that. We want to be productive in and of ourselves. And you see a guy who has a hard time, low self-esteem, all of this, oftentimes it's somebody who's, who has not succeeded, has not been productive. It really is a, a, a damaging to the soul. 
Which is why for men, one of the first things we see in Scripture God tells us to do is accept responsibility. God said to Adam, get out there and take care of my, my garden. And Adam doesn't make excuses. He's like, okay. <laughs> and he does. It's important as men is that we accept responsibility in our life. But the perversion from the fall, of course, makes that hard. Oftentimes men are the first we want to not accept responsibility, pass off to somebody else. What if I can't be productive? But Christianity teaches us, the scripture teaches us, that masculinity, that first thing, it's, it's a productive, it's an amazing thing. So to be productive, we have to accept responsibility. We also know that masculinity is directive, right? Verses in chapter 2, 19 uh, it says, now the Lord God formed out, of the wild, uh, formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever he would call each living ke- creature, that was its name, right? That God gave Adam the ability to make decisions and gave him the authority to make decisions. Now think of this. God gave Adam <laughs> the ability to do that. Could God name the animals better than Adam? Most likely because he's God. But he gave Adam the ability, the authority to direct, to say, this is what I want things to be. I want you to lead this. That's part of our design. It's part of our core. You see, this is why men, we value competence. Right? God trusted Adam to do a job, and he let him do it. And for men, oftentimes, we, we take on responsibilities. I think one of the, my first jobs, you know, I, uh, I was a, a dishwasher oh, down at... Um, uh, the, I always call it the Rome of the Rock. He's done raving in, and I was in high school, and I was doing that. One day, the cook leaves. The chef gets mad and leaves, and uh, the owner says, who wants to help? I had no idea what to do, but I thought, I'll take this on. How hard could cooking be? <laughs> so I became a line cook. No idea. I stepped up, right, and I learned how to become competent. Right? Men oftentimes do this. We put ourselves in bad situations because we believe we want to be productive, but we also learn competence, but we also respect those who become masters in their trade. In fact, look at how the trades, which were traditionally designed by men, are even called. Once you become really good at it, you become a master craftsman, a master electrician. Right? We respect competence. For a man to go through life just doing things halfway, so-so, is a disingenuous to the core of what a, mass, a man truly is. We seek excellence. We speak, seek to be competent. That's what we look up to. Which is why it's important for men that we reject passivity. We reject the call of this world and the brokenness of this world that says, ah, it doesn't matter. Let somebody else do it. As we do that as men, we die slowly inside. That we need to be directed. We have to have the ability to run things, to have some leadership, and to do our, our things well. Another thing about masculinity that we find that is protective and we find that really is, is uh, how God, one, he gives Adam, he says, I want you to take charge over all of nature, to take dominion over it, but to care for it, right? That's the thing. But more specifically, verse 23 and 24, something amazing and beautiful and wonderful happened, and I'm so happy it did, that God made Eve, and that's fantastic. And this is what Adam said about this. When he sees Eve for the very first time, he says, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She'll be called woman, for she is taken out of man. He says, just like I care for me, I care for her, right? The self-preservation now extends to her. The self-care now extends to her. All of a sudden, he felt responsible for her and will protect her and provide for her. This is huge for us. 
Men are protective, which is why traditionally most militaries you go around the world, men usually sign up for those things, right? There's a reason for that. There's a protective nature. And at night, when something goes bump in my house, I don't kick my wife out of bed and say, hey, go check that out. I'm the one that goes and does that, right? When I take out the garbage and it's dark outside, I don't send Amy out there where it might be a bear. I turn on lights, I go out there. Do you think I want to? It's scary, <laughs> but we're protective. That's who we are. That's why men value bravery. Look at most movies that men love, like Dirty Dozen, things like this, right? It's guys going up, standing up against the big bad things, protecting their families and those whom they love. We value bravery, and we think cowards have very little esteem amongst men. That's why it's important for men that we act courageously. And in this fallen world, oftentimes, especially now, we are told that we are toxic for being protective. But I will tell you, that is not true. This world needs brave men who will act courageously and stand up against the brokenness and not bend the knee to the powerful things that are trying to do such destructive works in our age. We need to be courageous enough to be different. This is masculinity. Masculinity has needs, though. We'll see this. This is how God made men this way. There are things that he made us to have. The first is purpose. First thing Adam has his purpose in the garden. And it's not just work to do. Right? We, we get this wrong. Sometimes it say, well, Adam had work to do. No, he had a purpose. Care for creation. Care for your wife, right? There's a reason that men will go out and to work hard, but not just for work's sake. Men need purpose to live for. I work hard because I want you to know Jesus. I will give my life to that. I work hard because I want to provide for my son and my wife. I will lay down my life for that. Men need purpose. We have to find that. And I'll tell you, there's no better place to find purpose than in Christ. He has given us a mission to go and to save this world from the darkness of the devil and of lies and of sin and of brokenness. You have purpose here. God made you for something here, men. God calls you to rise up. If you can find purpose nowhere else, you have it in Christ. But you need purpose. Second thing that men have is we need respect. It's key to us. In fact, a lot of the post-marriage counseling that I do is oftentimes a husband and wife can't seem to, to see eye to eye. And one thing the man doesn't give the wife is usually love, right? He's not choosing her above himself. He's acting selfishly. And oftentimes what the woman doesn't is give his, her husband respect. And it's just as gutting. Talks down to him, negs him, says that he's foolish or he's bad or he's not able to do things. Men need respect. Even God gave Adam respect. Name the animals. And God said, I'll respect your names. I'll, I'll trust you. Another thing that we find that, that men also need is we need partnership. It is not good for man to be alone. That's what it says. In the, all of everything creation, when everything was good, God said there's one thing that's not good. Not, men should not be in this by themselves. Men were designed for partnership. Right? We need to have a mate, some people that, that are surrounding us. And I'll tell you what, with respect and partnership, where do you find those? You have them here. God values you, men. I know the world says you're toxic, and the world says they make fun of you on TVs and movies and all these things. I will tell you, all of those are lies. That's the enemy trying to gut you. But here, in this place, in this church, you have value, and you have importance, and you have purpose. We, we trust you to grow and to lead your families and to lead your homes and to work hard for the greatness of God's kingdom. And we are with you in this. 
If you don't have partnership anywhere else, you have it with Christ and you have it with us. You are not alone. That's men. Let's talk about women. Men are masculine. Women are not. Women are feminine. And aren't we happy about that? Can you imagine if every time you went to your doctor, they're like, well, we have that mole to remove. That's not how we want to live our lives. Women are made different, beautifully, wonderfully different. And our culture oftentimes has told women, you have to be masculine in order to be important, right? We tell our girls they have to be super tough in order to be good. Be more like a man. As men, stop being like a man because that's toxic. But women, be more like a man. God says, women, he created you beautifully, perfectly, equally in his image and for his glory. And what is femininity? First thing we find is femininity is relational. And this all comes back to just how God even decided to make a woman. And I, I find this, uh, this beautiful. It says that uh, the Lord God said, it is not good, verse 18, for a man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Some things you find about just that one verse about this. What is women? Femininity is relational at its core. When God created women, right, she made, God made women to have a relationship with her husband, to be relational. The very first thing. And what do we find amongst women? They're relational, right? Women even go to the bathroom together, right? <laughs> Men like competition, right? We, we want to find, we want to be competent, right? That's why we do that. Women like cooperation. And could we use some more cooperation in our country right now? We need biblical femininity in a whole new way, in an amazing way. Women, we are calling you back to femininity, to be relational. And in order to be relational, in order to, to have the capacity to cooperate, women have to learn how to accept vulnerability, to take the armor off, to not be hard, but to be soft, to be kind. And the only way you can cooperate is if you accept vulnerability. And we need that. And it's one of the things that women do that is high and, and difficult and takes bravery. Women are not just relational, but they're also femininity is civilizing. You find this throughout all of history, but it's very... Like, I coach football, which is guys. <laughs> and the guys' locker room at, is not civil. It is utilitarian and stinky. But when we go to away games, they put us into the girls' locker room. And do you know what the ladies, the girls' locker room is like? Oh, they've got little flowers on things and nice little things written on the mirror. You are beautiful today. Right? All of the lockers are nice. Some of them are decorated for their games and all this. It's civil. You go in and you feel like, oh, yeah, this is nice. <laughs> Women are civilized and they make things better. That's why God called women to be homemakers, makers of the home. Men can provide the stuff for a home. We just can't make it, right? I'm, I'm decent, but my wife makes our home a home, not just a house, a home, a place we want to go to to be nourished and enriched, to be nurtured. You see, men value this, this relationship of, of camaraderie, but, but women value community which requires kindness and civility. It's like when my wife comes upstairs, my ton and I will have debates around the table and things like this, and Amy comes up in our language and our ideas, they elevate. <laughs> because a lady has entered the room. You know it's true. 
Just why this, that women need to reject vulgarity? In our culture, we've told women to be just like guys, and so oftentimes we're finding young gals feel like they have to be just as vulgar as the young men. Our culture doesn't need more vulgarity. Young ladies, there's a purpose in you to bring back the heights upon which humanity can stand, to reject the vulgarity that has dragged our society into the mud. We need you. Femininity is not just those, it's also nurturing. It doesn't just civilize, it nurtures, it grows. It, notice it says that I'll make a, a helpmate suitable for him. That's what it says. That there's a perfect match that God made women to be. The, the perfect component, unlike anything else, in God's beautiful image. Femininity, enha- femininity enhances about anything it touches. You'll know when you, when I go visit people's houses, and you know, I, well, before COVID, and you can tell when there's a bachelor and when there's a guy who has a lady around, right? It's just nicer. I mean, even our building, right? You, you look at what, what uh, uh, Jenny Denton does, right? She comes in and she makes this, if it was up to me, everything would be lined against the wall, very utilitarian. She makes it beautiful. Femininity enhances anything it touches. It's a beautiful, wonderful thing. And so one of the reasons I think that women value beauty It's not because they're narcissistic and they want to spend all this time on their hair and makeup. Women bring beauty into this world because God brings beauty into this world, and this is how they reflect him. And that's why it's important we don't just bring a physical beauty into the world or a decorating beauty into this world, but also a spiritual beauty into this world. That's why uh, for our ladies to, to live that higher life, not just to reject vulgarity, but to embrace and act virtuously. How many times in Scripture is this the call for young women? Act virtuously. You enhance and bring society up. Our world is not, at the, is not being destroyed because of toxic masculinity. It's being destroyed because masculinity has been labeled toxic, toxic and because femininity has been labeled toxic. But you are not toxic. You have been made in the image of God the way he designed you to be. And so we have to live better. But you know, women also have needs as well. Femininity has needs. The first is companionship. Eve was made to be a companion to Adam. Women are not to be alone, right? Just as men are not to be alone. And if you have nowhere else in the world to have companionship, you have it here. Jesus is not just a savior. He is also a friend that's closer than a brother. He brings you into the family of faith and you here have a place to, that, to exist and to be, to be loved, Women don't just need companionship to cooperate with and all this, but we also need security. How can we expect the women in our lives to be vulnerable if they don't feel safe? It's not fair. It's not right. This is why it's important that women have a place that they feel safe so they can be gentle and cooperate and not always have their armor up. And that's all kinds of security, emotional security where they don't feel attacked, physical security where they're not worried about the bear going to go and rip their head off if they take out the garbage, financial security, emotional security. Women need security in order to be able to be vulnerable, which we need them to be so they can bring the beauty in this world. And that's why it's important for women to be in community where you find security, 
around loving people who care for you. And you have that here. You are safe in Christ. And here you are safe to be who God created you to be. Women also have this, and this is so important, need love. And like I said before, my post-marriage counseling oftentimes comes to this. When I have two people, not every time, but oftentimes, I have a husband and wife, and they just can't seem to connect. And here's the thing. The husband is giving his wife respect but not love, and the wife is giving her, her husband love but not respect. Men need respect primarily. Women need love. They need to be chosen. They need to know that the people in their life actually choose them, that they care for them, that they feel valued, which is one of the most important things that what I think you find, ladies, that you have love here, that Jesus laid his life down for you because he loves you. And at this church, in this space, you are loved, not because of what you can do, but simply because of whom you are, that we choose you and love to serve you so that we can lift you up and so you can do all the great things that you are meant to be. There's a lot of applications into this, and I know I've made everybody mad today. I talked about politics, and I talked about gender. <laughs> but this is what I need us to do. And, and remember, this is for the Christian. If you're non-Christian and you have friends that are non-Christian, don't call them to this. Call them to Jesus first. Until they're transformed in Christ, who cares if they get these? We need to love our, our community members and, and our neighbors much more than this. But if you are in Christ, first thing is accept your identity in Christ. If you are struggling with gender issues, you're not alone. There are a lot of people who do, but I want you to know this, that there is healing in Christ, and it begins with when we accept his reality first. He's transformed you. The old has gone. The new is here. You are new in Christ. Accept who he says you are, not just as a Christian, which needs to start there, saved and sanctified, but also in how he made you, either male or female, masculine or feminine. Next thing we need to do is embrace my sexual identity. Men, let's live up to the better way of being. Let's live with purpose, right? Let's live with the respect and the partnership that God has called us to have. Women, embrace your femininity, right? Gain that companionship and security and love here in church and in community, and then let that bleed into your homes and the community and the rest of the world. As we embrace our sexual identity, recognize how God made us, let's honor God with that, right? For men, let's act responsibly. Let's take responsibility. Let's stop giving excuses and let's start getting results. That's what Jesus made us to do. It's how God designed us. Let's reject passivity and saying, well, the ladies will take care of it. Other people will take care of these things. No. Instead, let's act courageously in this day. Now, let's be the men God called us to be regardless of what culture says about us because we know who God says we are. And women, let's act with full femininity, biblical femininity, Meaning, be willing to accept vulnerability. Then a safe place like this, to be willing to say, I don't have to be hard. I can be nurturing. Reject vulgarity. Ladies, we need you to help draw us up. And so doing, act virtuously. Look at the lives and realize how God made you uniquely to be able to demonstrate your virtue, not just into how you act, but in everything that you touch. Beautify the world in which you live in. For this is how God made you. And so, the last one there is then to find fulfillment in Christ. Regardless of where you are, regardless of, of how you are, uh, uh, where you are in life, I want you to know this, that you can find your fulfillment in how God designed you. In your gender and all things, you find your fulfillment first in him. Men, we find our purpose in God, don't we? 
right? We, we find our productivity in God. We find our excellence in God. We find our place in God. We find our courage in Christ. We find our ability to live full masculinity and be defined by him here. Women, the same thing. So find your fulfillment first in Christ. So that way you're not needy. And so that we can live the way that God designed us to live. How do you apply this? Well, on your connection cards, I've got some things that I want you to do. If you're online, I think those, that list is like right here somewhere. But for the rest of us, since it's not right there, it's on your connection card. So I invite you to take that out and look there. First thing I'm going to challenge you to do this week is memorize 2 Corinthians 5.17. Gender is a contentious issue. It's important that we realize that, yes, but we died to this world. So it may be contentious in this world, but it's not contentious in you. It's not contentious in Christ. So remember that for those who are in Christ... The new creation has come. Take some time and memorize that and think about that and how it defines you. Also, second thing, you might want to read Genesis 1 through 3. Read the creation story. See how we were designed and see what happened and why we're so messed up. It helps. It gives us an idea. Third thing I'm going to ask you to do is accept your identity in Christ. Now, that first starts with being a believer. And if you are not a Christian, I invite you, I implore you, take the, advan- take, take the opportunity now while there's still time. You can be saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. If you need to take that step, talk to me. After you're here, if you're here in person, or email me, call me if you're online. But if you are in Christ, then I would say accept your identity in him. Because what I talked about today was not politically correct at all. You're not going to get this other places, but you are going to get it in the scripture. And it's been around for a really long time. It's been guiding people to really great lives for a very long time. And we would love to help you accept that identity if you need help. The third thing is I need to honor God. Honor God with whom you are. Men, we're calling you up to live with purpose, to live with courage, to take responsibility, to not be passive in this age. Women, we're calling you up. We're asking you to to take the ability to begin nurturing and creating a space of civility again by rejecting all the vulgarity and living virtuously. Hopefully, I've given you something to do, some steps to take together as a church as we come and follow Christ. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to have you take those commitments and then uh, at the end of the service, drop them in the offering basket along with your tithes and your gifts. There's a nice box back there for those. Uh, if you're online, make sure that you make those commitments. Let us know what they are so we can pray for you. Uh, let me pray, and then we'll let the worship team close us up. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness, your kindness, your love, and mercy. Thank you for making us in your image. We didn't deserve it. You did that. And so, Lord, we honor you. We want to honor you with our bodies, with our lives, with our spirits, and our souls. So, Father, we pray for the men in this congregation that your purpose and your value would fall upon them, lift them up to, to, to lead courageously, to live courageously, to serve courageously as you've made them to be. And Father, the same thing for our women. We ask that you would bless them, that your love would fall upon them, that you would show them your protection in all areas of their life, that they could find completeness in you. But Father, that you would raise them up and help them to reject the vulgarity of this day and to live virtuously as as beautiful diamonds in the midst of this broken and dark age, Father. I pray that, Father, you would draw us together in this way as a congregation, that we would represent you in fullness, being image bearers of the Almighty God. Take the commitments we've made today, Father. Help us to grow closer to you through them. We pray all of this in the powerful name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen.